Hi everyone, and welcome to another ECICM Next Educational Podcast. My name is Ahmed Zahir. I'm a senior clinical fellow at Oxford University Hospitals in the United Kingdom. And I am one of the ECICM Next Committee members. I would like to introduce our moderator today, who is Dr. Sylvia De Rossa. Sylvia is an anesthesiologist and an intensive care physician at San Bartolo Hospital in Vicenza in Italy and an ECICM Next Committee member and the ECICM Mentoring Program Coordinator. Sylvia today will be moderating a very interesting session with three international experts in the field of AKI and renal replacement therapy. Our experts today will be Dr. Antoine Schneider, Dr. Eric Host, Dr. Sean Bokshaw. Antoine, who is our first speaker, is an intensive care consultant in Lausanne University Hospital in Switzerland, and he is the chair of the AKI section in ACICM. He is the course director of the Continuous Renal Replacement Therapy Masterclass and one of the main founders of the AKI Pathway which is organized by the ACICM. Our next speaker is Dr. Eric Host. Eric is an ICU consultant in Ghent University Hospitals in Belgium. He is also the past chair of the AKI section in ACICM. His research interest is clinical critical care nephrology and organ donation. Our third speaker is Dr. Sean Bokshaw. He is an intensivist and a professor and a chair of the Department of Critical Care Medicine in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry in the University of Alberta in Canada. He is also the research chair in critical care outcomes and systems evaluation. His research interest is AKI, renal replacement therapy in ICU, vulnerable populations, health system, and ICU organization. Welcome everyone to the program. And now I will handle the discussion and the session to Sylvia. Thank you. Thank you. So in the next minutes, we will discuss some of the most challenging, interesting hot topic in our daily practice in ICU. That is the arts of CRT initiation in intensive care. So electric kidney injury is a major global health problem in both developed and developed nations. And it is one of the most common complications in the ICU with a 10 to 30% rate of hospitalization. Along with the two five times risk of mortality of non-AKI patients, AKI has been considered the most dangerous killer in the ICU. Renal replacement therapy is now the primary management strategy of patients with AKI and 10-15% of ICU patients receive renal replacement therapy. At present, despite the improvement in CRT technology, the time to start CRT is still under intense discussion, although in the past the trend was to start earlier. Based on meta-analysis, there is a limit based on heterogeneity. 
So different early LA definition reflect the diversity of time factors, biochemical indicators, and the clinical parameters, and were all used to balance the risk of initiating CRT and the benefits of supporting renal function during critical illness. In the last five years, large randomized control trial addressed the topic, and now the consensus is not early, not too late. So my first question is for Antoine. Do you think there is any theoretical advantages of early CRT initiation? Yeah, so hi, um, Silvia. Um, so of the theoretical point of view, you've already summarized a little bit the, the, the literature. But if we step back a little bit and go back perhaps 10, 10 years ago, or so, and uh, like you, you briefly said, mentioned, um, back in those days, we all believed that early initiation could be associated with uh, improved uh, clinical outcomes. There was um, observational studies that suggested towards that, and there's some form of rational, or I would rather say an equipoise between advantages and disadvantages. So. Clearly, the advantages of initiating uh, the uh, renal replacement therapy earlier is to restore homeostasis and quickly uh, normalize acid base, uh, electrolytes uh, level, uh, have control on fluid balance, at, uh, at, uh, which is essentially what we try to do in ICU for our patients. So it increases our control over these parameters. Second, it um, it increases or sorry it decreases the amount of time uh, under during which the patient is exposed to all this uremic burden, the the, the toxins that the cleaning normally clears, um, and um, assumably it, it it could only be better that just to remove that. Of course, this has to be put in the balance of some disadvantage that we know are associated with the therapy. Uh, and these are some risks associated with the therapy itself or the way we conduct the therapy. Of course, hypotension, which can lead to further kidney damage and uh, alter the potential for renal recovery. Um, bleeding, if we have to administer uh, anticoagulation, thrombocytopenia, hypothermia, and so on. Of course, by removing some substances, we also remove potentially um, uh, re uh, salutary substances. And in there, I think particularly of antibiotics, which uh, in septic patient, of course, are uh, a cornerstone stone of the, the, the management. And clearly, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not desirable to remove the antibiotics. And we all know that when we perform renal replacement therapy, it's more difficult to manage um, the, 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 these therapies. And of course, there's other uh, elements to be considered, uh, the cost associated with the therapies. Uh, so uh, they're all together. I think before the trials that you uh, that we're going to discuss today, there was equipoise, and we were not really sure, although there were some suggestion, potential benefits, but also um, potential uh, disadvantage associated with the therapy. Okay, so we have complication related also. So Eric, what do the guidelines tell us? Yeah, good question. And um, the guidelines are of course um, uh, written in the past. <laughs> um, so the, 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 the ultimate guideline in, in, in AKI is the one uh, written in two or published in 2012 by Kidigo, the Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes Consortium. 
And um, since then, uh, several other societies have published guidelines. But essentially, the, the message is, is, is quite similar among all these guidelines. The first uh, thing that to, to, to discuss is that um, the, uh, the evidence behind the guidelines for timing of initiation is, is, is absent. So, so they all, all these guidelines mention that it's based on expert consensus or, uh, or, or not graded because of uh, limitation. Uh, there's, there's no real evidence. So uh, up till recently, there were no uh, real good studies. Um, sorry for that. <laughs> Um, and then the, 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 the other thing that's, that comes back in all these guidelines is that um, um, you should initiate RRT uh, emergently or, or urgently when there's life-threatening life changes in fluid electrolyte and acid-base balance. Um, and that's, uh, that's uh, more or less defined. Um, so fluid overload, pulmonary edema, or in pediatrics, uh, 10 or 20% increase of body weight, um, electrolyte disorders, um, predominantly hyperkalemia, and acid base balance, uh, pH below 715. That's, that's something that so, uh, always comes back. There is a, just uh, an indication, absolute indication for a CRT. There is no really indication concerning timing. Yeah. These are the absolute indications, and then they they all all these um, all these guidelines uh, mention consider the broader contacts uh, and, and look at the patients and look at uh, the trends uh, of of laboratory tests or, or clinical condition of the patient and incorporate that in your decision whether or not to start uh, RRT. Okay. So urgent indications and clinical context. So do you so, think that we need an update concerning guideline based on evidence that we will discuss, we will discuss sooner? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. There, there was no evidence and, and we need uh, 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 to incorporate the available evidence we have now and what, what that, that's exactly what we're discussing today uh, in this podcast. Um, there, there is no evidence and, and I think the, the, the future guidelines will incorporate these and, and, and we now can frame uh, phrase better um, uh, guidelines and, and, and more um, uh, more more up-to-date guidelines thank you so for this <clears throat> i asked to sean to give us a brief summary of the last five years trials thank you Thanks, Sylvia. I think I want to just preface the discussion by saying, you know, clinicians, we've been long challenged to select those critically ill patients with AKI who, who have high probability of clinical benefit with the initiation of renal replacement therapy to correct and restore metabolic and fluid homeostasis, but also we'll, we'll see improved outcomes. So, you know, improved survival, improved recovery of kidney function, perhaps downstream, improved quality of life, improved function, et cetera with renal replacement therapy, but also to avoid renal replacement therapy in patients who may not need it, uh, are not likely to benefit from it, or may have greater relative probability of being harmed by receiving, by receiving it. So, so this is kind of the challenge, if not the, the tension that I think you know, bedside ICU physicians have confronted over the last decades. So it's refreshing in the last five years to have a series of trials that are that are starting to guide and inform our decision-making around this. 
So let me give a quick summary of these. So the first out of the gates really was the Elaine trial, which was a single-centered German randomized controlled trial of 231 mostly surgical ICU patients who were randomly allocated to early initiation of renal replacement therapy defined by stage two AKI, so starting within eight hours of achieving that, or a strategy of delayed initiation of renal replacement therapy, which was defined as stage three AKI, and they had their renal replacement therapy started within 12 hours. So the median difference in time to starting renal replacement therapy between these two treatment arms in the Elaine trial was 26 hours. Most, if not all, received renal replacement therapy in the early arm, whereas 91% went on to receive it in the delayed arm. The primary outcome was 90-day all-cause mortality, and this occurred in 39% in the early strategy and 55% in the delayed strategy. There was a host of secondary and tertiary outcomes that all seemed to favor the early strategy in the Elaine trial. The second out of the gates was the Akiki trial, a multi-center French randomized control trial of 620 now mostly medical ICU patients who were randomly allocated to an early strategy defined by stage three AKI and starting within six hours or a delayed strategy, which was really driven by the development of urgent indications in patients. The median difference in time between starting renal replacement therapy between the treatment arms was around 57 hours. And overall, only 51% of those in the delayed strategy went on to receive renal replacement therapy, the remaining either recovering kidney function or dying in the interim. The primary outcome was 60-day all-cause mortality, and this occurred in 49% in the early and 50% in the delayed strategy, respectively. The Akiki trial also showed that there was some hazard, if you like, of early initiation of renal replacement therapy with a slightly higher risk of catheter-related bloodstream infections in those in the early strategy. The third trial out of the blocks here was the ideal ICU trial, which was another multi-center French RCT of 488 ICU patients with septic shock. And they were allocated to an early strategy defined by rifle category F and, and having their initiation within 12 hours, or a delayed strategy, which was really around the development of specific urgent indications and criteria or 48 hours occurring. The median difference in time to starting renal replacement therapy was about 44 hours between the treatment groups. 62% in the delayed strategy went on to receive renal replacement therapy. Of note, of those in the delayed strategy, about 17% who started renal replacement therapy had urgent indications or emergent initiation of renal replacement therapy. And notably, this group had a higher mortality overall. The primary outcome uh, was also 60-day mortality, and it occurred in 58% in the early strategy and 54% in the delayed. It is worth noting that the ideal ICU trial was also uh, terminated prematurely due to issues around recruitment with about sort of half, uh, half or just over half of intended enrollment. The next trial out of the blocks, uh, full disclosure, I was a co-PI on this trial, was the START AKI trial. And this was an international multicenter randomized control trial of 3,019 mixed medical surgical patients from 15 countries across 168 sites that randomly allocated patients to accelerated renal replacement therapy initiation defined by stage two AKI versus standard initiation of renal replacement therapy, which was really driven by the development of specific indications 
or a 72-hour window defining persistent AKI. But notably, renal replacement therapy was not mandated as part of the standard strategy. The median difference in time to starting renal replacement therapy between the treatment strategies was 25 hours. Overall, in the delay or in the standard strategy, delayed strategy, if you like, 62% uh, went on to receive renal replacement therapy. The primary endpoint was 90-day all-cause mortality, and this occurred in 43.9% in the accelerated and 43.7% in the standard groups, respectively. Secondary endpoints were also of notable importance. So renal replacement therapy dependence at 90 days occurred in 10.4 in the accelerated or six and 6.0 in the standard. Uh, and this suggested that there was a greater hazard, a greater risk of uh, RRT dependence at 90 days amongst those allocated to an accelerated strategy. Finally, there was more uh, adverse events that occurred in the accelerated strategy, 23 versus 17% of the standard. So finally, what should we do when we're confronted with patients who have severe, prolonged, persistent, or non-resolving AKI? And how long could we potentially defer renal replacement therapy? How long could this be considered safe and acceptable? Is there harm associated with the cumulative effects of untreated AKI and critical illness? These were questions that the first four trials really didn't address, but this was, this was the focus, if you like, of the Akiki 2 trial. So the Akiki 2 trial was a, another multi-center French RCT of 278 critically ill patients with stage 3 AKI and having had oliguria for 72 hours and a urea greater than 40, who were ultimately randomly allocated to receive immediate renal replacement therapy uh, versus a more delayed strategy whereby an urgent indication developed or a serum urea uh, exceeded 50 millimoles of mercury. In general, most patients in the delayed strategy received renal replacement therapy, whereas only 79% in the more delayed strategy received renal replacement therapy. The primary outcome in the Akiki 2 trial was renal replacement therapy free days. And this occurred uh, more commonly in the delayed than in the more delayed strategy, 12 versus 10 days, respectively. Mortality at 60 days was 44% in the delayed, whereas it was 55% in the more delayed strategy, an absolute difference of 11%, which many I think would believe uh, as minimal, uh, fulfilling the criteria for minimal clinically important differences. And in a pre-specified analysis, the more delayed strategy was associated with an increased hazards for death at 60 days. So the question is, why did we have this higher mortality in the more delayed strategy? Could it have plausibly been driven by a variety of factors, maybe the effects of prolonged untreated AKI. So, you know, prolonged azotemia or toxicity related to medications. Was this exaggerated effects of non-renal organist function and kidney other organ interactions, delirium, pulmonary dysfunction, cardiac dysfunction, uh, or delayed or modified recovery from critical illness overall? We're not sure. Uh, but it does sort of provide some parameters around which there seems to be a zone of ideal initiation of renal replacement therapy. So there you go, Sylvia. Hopefully that was a good summary. Yes, yes, it was. I have another question for you. So do you think that is the timing or how much is prolonged the RT that can influence the, um, you know, dependence among survivor, RT dependence among survivor? 
Well, I think the, the issue of timing is complica complicated. So how you define timing, I think is quite complex. Do we think of timing as in, you know, a stopwatch and hours that are, that evolve, or do we think of timing as in, you know, the, the, the development of an indication and the worsening of an indication? I think this has really complicated the issue. I think the trials have tried to do their best to sort of circumvent this. I think trials like Kiki and Start AKI and, and even Idealize you to some extent, but they had a time window per se, but definitely Start AKI. My view is that the standard strategy in Start AKI was really more of a, you know, a personalized precision approach around the idea that timing was related to the evolution in a patient's critical illness and acute kidney injury. And these were used as triggers to initiate renal replacement therapy. So, I mean, I think we're going to get more sophisticated in our thinking uh, as we move forward around what timing really represents and, and really looking at the suitable sort of um, context and indication for initiation of renal replacement therapy. Again, trying to balance that, you know, are they going to have or do we have high confidence as clinicians that these patients are going to get, you know, greater relative benefit? From the initiation of renal replacement therapy, and it's going to mitigate and or have you know minimal risk of harm. Okay. Uh, that's kind of my quick view. Thank you. So, Antoine, do you think that the KDAGO criteria are the best way to determine the need for RT? Well, I'll say that's a great question. I guess based on what's been said so far, I mean, um, in the last 10 years, again, back to what I was saying before, we've moved a lot. And thanks to Sean and the investigator of these milestone huge trials, we now uh, can to some degree respond to the question of the timing. However, um, the main limitation of this body of work, this huge body of work again, is that basically, and as in a pragmatic way, of course, um, uh, the timing is exactly referring to what Shan just was saying just now. We It's not a time watch and patient come in ICU in different ways. And the way to determine the, the timing was based on Kidaigo criteria and somehow the severity of, of, um, of AKI. To enter all of this trial, you needed Kidaigo 2 or uh, Rifle F in the ITO study or Kidaigo 3, but somehow it was based on the Kidaigo uh, criteria. And uh, I remind, of course, all of you um, that Kidaigo uh, criteria is a very uh, interesting and re uh, definition of acute kidney injury, which is based on the uh, decreased urinary output for certain duration of a, a certain amount of hours and an increase of serum creatinine uh, relative to the baseline value. And this definition has been now validated, is associated with prognosis, and it's used a great deal with the um, with the um, uh, evaluate um, the, the epidemiology description and uh, uh, of acute kidney injury as a uh, as a syndrome as an entity in intensive care. Unfortunately, it has never been thought or designed to determine the need for renal replacement therapy um, and uh, 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 in any way. And this is demonstrated by uh, the, one of the results of the trial that those the patients that actually were um, randomized to be uh, allocated to the standard therapy or the controlled arm, uh, as mentioned by Sean, only received uh, between 50 or 60% of them uh, ended up receiving uh, renal replacement therapy. Therefore, um, the trials that have been conducted are not really, if you want to be a bit 
provocative, uh, have not really compared the, the early versus late, but they have compared um, uh, the, the, a strategy defined by KIDAIGO for initiating uh, uh, by KIDAICO criteria for initiating renal replacement therapy compared to standard of care. And uh, again, the fact that not 100% of the patients um, have received uh, renal replacement therapy in the control arm um, precludes definitive findings. So perhaps the studies um, were not um, uh, really designed to respond to the question of timing, but really to respond whether KEDAIGO is the right criteria to, uh, to define the need for renal replacement therapy. And the answer is, is probably no. So I think we need, and, and in, to some degree, the only trial that was positive, you can argue, is the one that almost all the patient had renal replacement therapy um, in, even in the control arm. So that just goes to, to, towards that direction. So I think for now, what we would need to go a bit further is um, a, a some strategies, I don't know, clinical scores, biomarkers, or things that we might discuss uh, in the few minutes that are left uh, to really predict the need for renal replacement therapy. And only in those patients, then we can really try to test whether early time watch, like uh, Sean was saying, time watch, early initiation versus late um, uh, initiation is um, associated with clinical outcomes. Thank you. Anyone of you want to add something about it? For sure. I'd love to have a add a comment to Antoine's um, Antoine. So Antoine, I think I think you're kind of right, but but I actually don't necessarily review. I, I don't necessarily view the trials as using KDIGO as specific thresholds and criteria for initiation of renal replacement therapy. So I think it's important to emphasize that these were used as eligibility criteria. For the trials now, maybe maybe Elaine is a good example of that. But I think in in latter trials, they weren't necessarily used as you know thresholds for initiation. They were thresholds, I suppose, for eligibility for the trial and defining you know a patient who is critically ill, who is mechanically ventilated, who is on vasoactive support and has developed you know moderate to severe AKI, but no urgent indications for initiation of renal replacement therapy. So it was mostly about eligibility, particularly in the early or the accelerated arms in the Kiki and start AKI, right? But the the delayed or standard really was defined by that same group, except you know time transpired to see if there would be the development of you know, complications associated with AKI, in which case that would trigger the initiation and the sort of watch and wait strategies, if you like. Um, but there was no obligation necessarily for initiation of renal replacement therapy. So some of those patients went on to recover, of course. Uh, some of those patients went on to die before they received renal replacement therapy. And then someone, some, you know, progressed, got worse, developed complications that were medically refractory, and then went on to receive renal replacement therapy. So I suppose it's how you frame it. I agree with you in principle that we shouldn't be using simple KDIGO definitions for stages of AKI to as thresholds for initiation of renal replacement therapy. But I think in the context of the trials, these were more eligibility and defining earlier strategy, but not necessarily the lates. Does that make sense? Um, I think the framing is important. Thank you. Can I respond to Sean? <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, but still the patients with KEDIGO stage three and they were randomized to the early arm had uh, renal replacement therapy initiated within six, 12 hours, like Correct. almost immediately. So yeah. 
Yeah, so that I, I would call it as moderate to severe AKI by a definition, but no indication that we would classify as an urgent indication conventionally. And, and I think that's the important distinction. These were patients who were kind of in the middle, like they had moderate to severe AKI, but they didn't actually have one of those conventional triggers you read in a textbook to say, uh-oh, I better get going because you know their hyperkalemia, acidosis, or pulmonary edema are medically refractory. Okay, yeah, and I think at this point there is a, there is something we, we, we need to, to to emphasize for junior doctors that might be listening to this podcast at some stage. Um, uh, like Sean just mentioned, it's it's very important to remember. And when we read all these trials that we're comparing um, the, the timing of initiation only for, for I mean, all, all the patients that were included these um, the in these trials. Uh, did not have a criteria for immediate in, uh, initiation. And again, don't think that uh, if a patient has a potassium of eight, is fluid overloaded and uh, cannot breathe, then these are the indications to initiate the therapy straight away. And uh, don't, re- don't, don't take this uh, discussion here as, as, a, as a rule. Or remember that all the patients, including this trial, uh, did not have uh, inclusion criteria. Yeah. Okay, well... Shanke, you're talking about heterogeneity of treatment effect. Yeah, thanks. That's a really, really important uh, consideration in clinical trials. Perhaps it's become even more important in the last you know, several years with a lot of large trials being published. The concept that some patients may benefit more than others and some patients may be harmed more than others with a particular intervention. But in aggregate, when we look at the aggregate results of trials, these differences are not seen. So this may be plausible in most ICU trials, particularly those that have not maybe taken steps to integrate reliable methods for predictive enrichment of the population being evaluated. So in a post hoc analysis of the Akiki and the ideal ICU trials, the heterogeneity and treatment response of the timing of the intervention on 60 day mortality was explored across quintiles of predicted baseline risk for the initiation of renal replacement therapy, which was defined really as the probability a patient would develop uh, the need for renal replacement therapy within 48 hours of allocation in the delayed strategies. So the study found there was evidence of heterogeneity and treatment effect in this secondary analysis amongst those that had a, at baseline, an intermediate to high risk of renal replacement therapy initiation within 48 hours. And the study concluded that these patients may in fact have benefited from an early or earlier strategy of renal replacement therapy initiations. They actually showed a lower mortality uh, with the early strategy in this sort of subgroup of patients with moderate to high predictive um, renal replacement therapy initiation within 48 hours. So we looked at this as well in START AKI. So we examined for heterogeneity and treatment effect of the renal replacement therapy initiation strategy on 90-day mortality across deciles of SAPS2 score in a fully adjusted model. And in, in this analysis, we did not find evidence of heterogeneity and treatment effect. However, in a secondary analysis that, that we haven't published yet, but we're working on, we've found some evidence of heterogeneity and treatment effect um, on 90-day all-cause um, renal replacement therapy dependence, sorry, um, by renal replacement therapy strategy on 90-day renal replacement therapy dependence by baseline CKD status. So what we really found was that those with CKD allocated to the accelerated strategy were more than three times more likely to be RT dependent at 90 days. So in summary, I think, I think secondary 
Secondary analyses such as these will afford opportunity for a deeper understanding of trial interventions across the spectrum of populations being enrolled in these trials and can be used to help further guide and refine practice in the future. So definitely the secondary analysis by Akiki and hopefully you know, subsequent analysis in Stardiki will, will shed greater light on this. Thank you. Eric, do you think that there are specific groups which might benefit from early initiation of CRT? Uh, it's a difficult question. Uh, my gut feeling um, uh, says yes, I do think there are groups that may benefit, and, and these are uh, probably uh, the, the patients that are the most severely ill. Uh, uh, take the example of uh, uh, a young patient that comes in with a uh, severe primococcal septic shock um, and um, severe hemodynamic instability, oliguria or anuria from, uh, from, from onset. Uh, I guess that's kind of a patient uh, I would expect that would benefit from, um, from, from early initiation of, of RT because you know these patients will... Uh, Will develop uh, all kinds of problems uh, related to, uh, to 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 severity of illness and acute kidney injury. Um, on the other hand, um, yeah, Sean just told us that um, in his analysis, uh, uh, when he looked at these cells of SAPS two score, uh, this didn't this this doesn't this didn't this didn't show up. So. Um, as a clinician, bedside clinician, I, I would think um, this example, um, many of us would start RRT. Uh, however, it doesn't translate or, or doesn't come out in, in, in analysis in, in, in large databases. So not sure how to, uh, to, to correlate that. Maybe Sean has a, a, a take on that also. Yeah, what do you think, Sean? Yeah, in my, sort of in my heart, I believe that there is heterogeneity uh, across the spectrum of critically ill patients that suffer AKI, in part because there is so much differences in case mix. There's so much fundamental heterogeneity and baseline susceptibility to not only, you know, severe outcomes in AKI, uh, but also, you know, um, uh, the spectrum of patients in general in the ICU. So, so I do believe that there probably is, and we haven't really been able to, to tease that out in, in large clinical trials. So I think the contributions for the Akiki ideal ICU sort of subgroup and now secondary analysis are, are very helpful. I think we're going to learn more as, as we, you know, slowly sort of pick through opportunities for secondary analyses uh, strategically to understand who may best uh, benefit from early versus late. Um, I think sort of on average, though, I think the important one of the important messages is that um, all the trials, uh, with the exception of Elaine, have sort of uh, coherence in suggesting that a watch and wait approach is um, is acceptable at, at present. So, uh, you know, I think we'll probably have some more discussion about new tools that may be offered to help better select patients who may be more likely to benefit from the early initiation uh, coming up here. So. And, and I want to add to that, it's, it's already emphasized uh, before, that of course we shouldn't forget the uh, urgent indications. Uh, so patients with uh, severe hyperkalemia, pulmonary edema, metabolic acidosis, nobody will discuss these patients uh, need um, 
early initiation or, or immediate initiation of quality. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's really important, Eric, because in essence, those patients were excluded from all these trials if that's yeah. how they presented. Yeah. So these trials were all focused on patients who had moderate to severe acute kidney injury, but did not have any of those sort of urgent or classic conventional indications for initiation of replacement therapy. So you have to take all those patients out of the mix. Uh, and, you know, you know, what was left was the patients who have severe, moderate to severe AKI, but, you know, clinicians just have uncertainty about whether they should initiate now or can they wait. Uh, and, yeah. and that's really what these trials were looking at. Yeah. And perhaps an, an element of response as well is could be the fact that if I understood well the um, secondary analysis of the Akiki and the RDOCU, uh, uh, they demonstrate heterogeneity of, treat, uh, heterogeneity of treatment effect, and they use the propensity score to determine the patients that ultimately will require um, uh, renal replacement therapy. And they seem to suggest that those patients who benefits the most are those who are the, the most likely to benefit from, to receive renal replacement therapy. So if I rephrase that, it suggests that those patients that benefit from early renal replacement therapy uh, are those who actually need renal replacement therapy. Um, and the, 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 which means in a way that if you're going to need renal replacement therapy, you might as well start earlier. The whole question is, uh, which patients are ultimately going to require renal replacement therapy. And like Sean suggested, our efforts, research efforts should be targeted by determining strategies. Uh, and again, biomarkers, uh, clinical scores, or I don't know exactly what that could enable us to say, okay, this patient has a hundred percent certainty uh, of requiring renal replacement therapy within two or three days. So for this one, we should start there. Then we can, and then we need trial to test whether this is true or not. But then uh, this one potentially might benefit from earlier initiation as compared to a um, watchful approach. But again, this is quite speculative and this is based on this data. And, yeah. So what do you think about uh, renal biomarkers in, predict in predicting uh, the need for RRT? And also what about furosemide stress test? All of you. Um, maybe if I can start. Um, um, yeah. I think, yes, we, we need something else because um, when you sit back uh, um, and think about it, uh, we use Kadigo uh, criteria, but creatinine is not making your patient sick. Uh, well, we, when we start vasopressors, it's because blood pressure is low. Um, <clears throat> Uh, when we start um, uh, mechanical ventilation, it's because of the respiratory insufficiency. Um, but creatinine is not making your patient sick. So um, um, half of the criterion um, uh, that we use in, in these trials is, is not really related to, um, to, to development of sickness because of AKI. Um, so that's a philosophical uh, uh, point of view. So, so I, I think we need other parameters. And um, so we, we have a biomarker, CCL14, um, that has been proven to be associated with persistent AKI. So uh, AKI stage three for three days or longer. So that's, that's already touching a little bit on, 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 on patients um, that have um, prolonged period of um, 
of acute kidney injury and therefore maybe also prolonged period of oliguria. So that's, that's promising, but it's promising. It has to be explored. Furosemide stress test is, is, a, is a sophisticated way of exploring uh, whether a patient uh, that's oliguric uh, really is oliguric or uh, whether there's still a response to furosemide and, 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 and your output. Um, so I guess um, when you um, when you use a furosemide stress test or, or, or a variant of this, it, it can indeed help you to, to, um, to differentiate uh, the patients that are oliguric and, and potentially need RRT or, or, or patients who are not oliguric. Thank you. And uh, what is the perspective on uh, future research, in your opinion? I think we need a, a better parameter to, 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 to time um, or, or to, to look at timing. And, and, and Sean already uh, alluded to that. So you can look at timing in, in, in so many uh, ways. Uh, they did also some work on that. We, we started in the 70s in, with studies uh, that, that used urea as a cutoff, uh, different urea uh, levels. Um, um, urea is also used in the Akiki trials, so that's, that's interesting to see. Um, and as it is now, uh, we know that delaying is, is, is probably good, uh, but we need better tools, I guess, to, um, to, to, to look at, at the impact of acute kidney injury. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, one of the things we need to consider is <clears throat> how do we best identify patients who have a high probability of going on to receive renal replacement therapy or developing, you know, conventional criteria that would be otherwise medically refractory. You know, it's important that we think about using the clinical data available to us, depending on the, the resource setting that you work in, the type of ICU you work in. Um, you can sort of model your electronic health record to, to integrate clinical risk scores or, you know, the, the ideal ICU Akiki secondary analysis looking at, you know, predictive probability of going on to receive renal replacement therapy in the subsequent 48 hours did develop an internal sort of risk model uh, that they've actually published online. So, you know, it is within the confines of that data set. It is within the confines of the eligibility for the Akiki, three, uh, Akiki or ideal ICU trials. So it has to be taken into consideration if you were to use this. So it's not externally validated right now, but it's something to give you some probability uh, of whether a patient is, you know, low, moderate to high to go on to need renal replacement therapy. I think those kinds of tools are probably gonna be very important, but I also think the tools that, that Eric has discussed, so a furosemide stress test or you know, novel sort of diagnostic tests like CCL14 can provide incremental information about what the trajectory is likely to be for patients who have moderate to severe AKI in the context of critical illness. So I think, at least I hope in the next few years, you know, we push the boundaries on, on better understanding the prediction of patients who are not gonna recover and or deteriorate and or worsen in terms of their AKI and ultimately you know, would benefit from some, some form of renal replacement therapy. Thank you. Antoine, as a chair of AKI section, uh, what are the take-home messages that you want to send to our intensivists? 
Okay, thank you, uh, Silvia, for um, the, giving me the conclusion words. So, um, indeed, I think the, the message that we have through, and again, I, I repeat what we have said at some stage, um, the timing of, of uh, initi um, renal replacement therapy initiation is important. It's a topic for discussion, and it's something that there's been huge uh, trials that helped us uh, advance in our understanding of when is the ideal. Um, timing. So at the moment, uh, we, if we want to summarize this body of evidence based on the uh, critical criteria, and we should not initiate uh, um, renal replacement therapy early, uh, at least not immediately, um, and probably in most situations, a watchful uh, approach is safe and recommended. How long can we wait based on the data from Akiki 2? Uh, it's this delayed, this, this the prolonged period of expectation is of wait um, is probably, uh, should not probably be over 72 hours. So within this window of those patients that as, as proposed by Sean, this, this patient that are sick enough in terms of their creatinine elevation of their oliguria and need in general for, um, for a clinical attention in critical care, but not too sick, uh, not sick for too long. Uh, this is the window uh, during which we should consider the initiation and not to forget that all these trials have excluded patients with actual emergent indication for initiation. So again, those patients with fluid overload, with hyperkalemia, with very severe uh, acid-based uh, disorders uh, should be treated uh, as fast as possible. So I guess these are probably the take-home messages uh, we can summarize today. Thank you. And Sean and Eric, do you want to add something to this take-home message? Not for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. No, I would just, uh, my, final, my final comment was, you know, we've definitely advanced our knowledge considerably in the last five years, and we're going to continue to add new knowledge and improved understanding of the boundaries of what's acceptable to, to, for when we initiate renal replacement therapy for most critically ill patients. And I would say that my, my personal practice, um, you know, uh, bedside practice aligns with the standard strategy for the most part which I think actually aligns with a personalized approach to initiation of renal replacement therapy. So it's attentive and careful watch and waiting, uh, watching and waiting uh, moving forward. So thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. I want to thank you for your valuable contribution and uh, for attending our ESICM Next Educational Podcast, the joint to AKI section. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for moderating the session. Thank you for our for our for the experts' time for contributing for such a valuable podcast. And I'm pretty sure that many people across the globe will be really, will be really interested in listening to this podcast. Thank you, everyone, and thank you so much for the AKI section for contributing to our educational podcast program. And have a lovely day. Thank you. Mm -hmm.